All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to I-Town Church in part three of this series called Dangerous Prayers. I want to say hello to our church family in Bluffton, all of you watching live online through itownchurch.com and all the correctional facilities across the state. Come on, church. Let's welcome each other today. Yeah. Great to have you with us. Go ahead and grab something to take some notes with if you haven't already. And as you do that, I would love to invite those of you who call iTown your home to consider prayerfully attending one of the services that is not completely full of people here at Olson Farms. We have services, if you don't know, on Saturday night at 4.30 and 6 o'clock. We have plenty of room for you in both of those services. We also have an 8.30 service with the truly spiritual folks here at iTown. They get up early and worship the Lord. That service is filling up quickly, but that's one you could consider as well. This is one of the few places, if you call yourself a Christ follower, you can win people for Jesus by just attending church at a different time. And we need your seat in 10 and 11.30, so don't come later. That's a mistake as well. Come earlier or on Saturday night, it would be an honor to have you there, and there will be rewards in heaven for you. All right. We are working through this series called Dangerous Prayers in a Season of Prayer. Here's our theme verse, Matthew chapter 18. Jesus said, again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. So Jesus is teaching us the power of the prayer of agreement. If you can get together in agreement with someone else, something supernaturally takes place. It just moves the hand of God. And so we've been coming together in agreement for the last 21 days, or excuse me, 14 of the 21 days. We are now headed into the last week of our 21 days of prayer. We're gathering together here and in Bluffton Monday through Friday from 12 to 1. It's been an incredible time in God's presence as we continue to pray. I want to encourage you to join us, even if you haven't come already, jump in this last week. It's going to be a great time. We also stream those live online if work or schedules just prohibit you from being here personally. But man, it's great to be in the house and we start and end on time. Friday will be our big conclusion for the 21 days of prayer. So if you can only make one day, come on Friday and we'll have extended worship and times of prayer. I'll be leading that day. It's going to be a lot of fun together. And there are three things that we've been standing in agreement for corporately as a church. You should have your own prayer list of things you're asking God for. But here's three things we're all praying for. Boldness for the body of Christ, restoration and strengthening of the families of America, and revival in our school systems. These are three things that we really need to see God move in. And so we are joining together in the prayer of agreement. And then gathering together, because in verse 20 of that text, he says, When two or three gather in my name, I am there Thank God for that. He is in the room today. He is with us in this moment. He joins us at prayer every day. The presence of God is available. And that means that anything is possible. It's been a powerful time. I want to encourage you to come and, uh, and jump in. I promise you won't be disappointed. Today, as we continue our series on dangerous prayers, I want to study a prayer from a man who is bold and radical that saved an entire nation. It was the nation of Israel. They were in a very bad place spiritually at the time. We'll get to that in just a moment. Before we get there, I want to take you back in the history of Israel just a little bit and establish this covenant that God made with them and teach you a spiritual principle that applies to us as well. As the nation of Israel comes out of Egypt because God delivers them through the hand of Moses and sets them free, they travel through the desert for 40 years. Now they're getting ready to take possession of the promised land. 
And Moses gives them this covenant with God. In Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 13, it says, If you carefully obey the commands that I'm giving you today, and if you love the Lord your God and serve him with all your heart and soul, then he will send the rains in their proper seasons, both the early and the late rains, so you can bring in the harvest of grain and new wine and olive oil, and then he will give you lush pasture land for your livestock and for yourselves. You'll have all that you want to eat. Now we've highlighted a couple of words repetitively because you'll see this pattern in the promise here that if you, then he will. This is the principle we're going to study today and it is the title of the message. Jot it down if you're taking notes. If you, he will. You need to understand that there are promises that God has given you in scripture but they are conditional based on the choices that you make. Moses is telling them, God wants to prosper you and God wants to bless you. If you will do what he has asked you to do, if you'll keep him first, if you'll worship him only, then he will respond and bring blessings into your life. And you may say, well, Dave, that was Israel and the Old Testament. That's fine. Let me take you to the New Testament and show you a couple of promises that God has given us and how we have a role to play in possessing them. Matthew chapter 6, your heavenly Father will forgive you if you forgive those who sin against you. But if you refuse to forgive them, he will not forgive you. So the Bible tells us, we don't preach this often, that your forgiveness from God is conditional based on your ability to release others. So if you're harboring bitterness and unforgiveness against people, you are setting the condition where God can no longer release you of your sin. But if you'll forgive others, if you will, then God will, he will forgive you. It's a conditional promise. Luke chapter 12, verse 31 finances. He will always give you all you need from day to day if you will make the kingdom of God your primary concern. Another promise. God says you'll always have all the provision you need as long as you follow the principles of God's word. If you'll give him the first and the best, if you'll make God's kingdom your priority, then God's promises will come to pass. But conversely, of course, if you go your own way and live your own life and spend money however you want, you are not allowed to receive the benefits that God promises of that covenant because you're not meeting the conditions. James chapter 1, verse 5. Hey, if you want to know what God wants you to do, just ask, and he will gladly tell you, for he's always ready to give a bountiful supply of wisdom to all who ask him. So there's no reason to be lost and confused as a Christian because the reality is if we just ask, that's the condition, then he will respond. He will give you wisdom. And on and on and on, we could chase this principle all day. The reality is there are conditions to be met for the promises of God to come to pass in our lives, which tells us this spiritual principle. Jot it down if you're taking notes. We don't believe that in predestination. God doesn't predestine our choices, but he does predestine the consequences of our choices. So what Deuteronomy is teaching us and what all the New Testament scriptures teach us is that God's not up in heaven pre-deciding everything about your life. We don't believe in predestination here at I-Town, and for those of you that are new to Christianity, that's the idea that before you were ever born, God had already laid out your entire life and made all your decisions for you, and that your life is just unfolding the way God already intended for it to, which theologically means that some people are just selected to go to hell, and there's nothing they could ever do, and God chose some people to go to heaven, and they just got to be the lucky ones, and it just is what it is. If that's true, then there's no purpose to preach the gospel. There'd be no purpose for the Great Commission. And it doesn't line up with what God showed us in the Garden of Eden. You always got to go back to the Garden of Eden to see how God intended humanity to live. Because that was the original undefiled version 
And we had Adam and Eve in the garden, and God said, I don't want robots. I don't want slaves. I want relationship. I want love. And love has to be a choice. And so here's the tree of life. If you eat from that, we can have relationship. Here's the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If you choose to eat from that, it will break our relationship because he wanted a real relationship. So God doesn't predestine whether or not you're going to eat the fruit. He predestines the consequences of what happens when you eat the fruit. And so when we make decisions in life, there are consequences on the other side of it because God has set up this system for us. And man, I hope this unlocks your spiritual journey to understand there are many blessings that God has for you in life. But if you're not seeing them come to pass, it may mean that you're not meeting the conditions to see those promises come to pass. God wants to bless you and prosper you, and he wants you to succeed. He wants you to give you a great job. He wants to bring that spouse you've been praying for. But if you sleep till noon, never brush your teeth, and can't balance a checkbook, God's probably protecting you from yourself. Here's the easy way to say it. My grandfather used to say this all the time. You make your decisions, and your decisions make you. So we also have to understand, and we'll see this in the story today, that our lives are the sum total of the choices that we have made. Now, you cannot control what has happened to you, but you have 100% control over how you respond. And so while some of you have been victimized and some of you have had horrible things happen to you, you cannot point the finger at other people and say who you are today is someone else's fault. That's simply not true. Until you own the fact that you are who you are because of the decisions that you have made and the things that you have chosen, you will never be able to change. And that's what the devil's trying to do, to hijack our culture today. If he can get you into that victimized mentality, then you feel powerless to change anything and you'll wallow in self-pity and you'll be a slave to a system that you'll never be free from. And what, yeah. Somebody was like, did you hear that? <laughs> it's only when we take ownership for the decisions that we have made that we can see real change. And that's what's going to unfold in the story today. Because we have to understand there are always consequences for our choices. Kate is always telling our kids, you have to understand every choice you make affects everybody in your life. The reality is there are consequences for our choices. So if we go back to Deuteronomy chapter 11, God's saying, hey, if you'll do all these things, I will unleash all these blessings. But, verse 16, be careful, don't let your hearts be deceived so that you turn away from the Lord and serve and worship other gods, it's going to be a temptation. You're going into a new season, a new level of prosperity, a new place to live, new relationships in your life. And if you do, if you allow that temptation to overtake you, the Lord's anger will burn against you. And then he will shut up the sky, hold back the rain, and the ground will not produce its harvest. And so we have to realize that we can remove ourselves from the blessing and the favor and the hand of God by the choices that we make. And so when we understand that and begin to take ownership of it, we begin to see some of the things that are happening in the spiritual realm around us. And it helps us understand our story today because God established this covenant with them. I'm going to give you the promised land. As long as you serve me, you'll be blessed. But if at any point you decide to worship false gods, these idols of the land, then you're going to remove God's hand of blessing and favor, which looked like rain for them because that's what grew the crops, that's what supported the cattle, that's what kept the economy going. Now, if we fast forward in the history of Israel, they've 
taken the promised land. Solomon is now the king, and he is building God's temple. In 2 Chronicles, he gets this promise after the temple is finished, where the Lord says, look, if for some reason the nation of Israel chooses to wander from me, then we all know the consequence. Rain will stop. But when and if the rain stops, if the heavens shut up and there is no rain, here's what you have to do. Here's the if you, he will condition that unleashes God's hand of favor again on your nation. Verse 14, if my people who are called by my name would humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin, and I will heal their land. So we've heard that verse 14 probably many times, but never heard it taught in the context of the nation of Israel could possibly have wandered from God, and in their depravity, in their place of need, in their place where they've walked away from God, then these are the conditions they have to meet to come back. These are the conditions that must be met to reestablish the favor and the blessing of God. Let me run through them with you for just a moment. He says, if you would humble yourself, it's just acknowledging that what we're doing isn't working, that we don't have all the answers, that you can't be full of pride and have a relationship with God. You can't serve these other gods that have no power to save you and still have a relationship with Yahweh. That's humility. Praying is the act of acknowledging God is the one true God, and turning is the act of repentance. It's turning away from wickedness and turning back towards God. Then the Lord said, here's my response. I will hear that prayer. I'll forgive your sin, and I will heal your land. Now, this is what Israel needs when we get to our story. The nation of Israel had wandered from God. They had begun to worship other gods. And they're in a very bad place. And so we see a man named Elijah who's full of faith and full of boldness. And he steps into the situation and he says, we need revival in our nation. And so in order to trigger that revival, we got to get people to recognize that we can't be full of pride. We don't have all the answers. What we're doing isn't working. We have got to repent and turn away from all these idols and all this wickedness. And we have got to cry out to God. But if we do, God promises that he'll hear from heaven. He'll forgive our sin. He'll bring healing to our land. Now, Ahab was the king. If we go to chapter 21 for just a moment of 1 Kings, it says, No one else so completely sold himself to what was evil in the sight of the Lord as did Ahab because his wife Jezebel influenced him. Now, chances are, even if you've never been to church, you've heard of Jezebel. <laughs> People say, Ooh, she's a Jezebel. And usually they give, they, it's like Jezebel. It's not just Jezebel. It's Jezebel. Ooh, she's a Jezebel. Usually that means like they wear a lot of makeup or maybe they're kind of mean or they gossip a little bit. None of that's true, okay? That's not Jezebel. Jezebel was a woman who was incredibly wicked because she believed in the worship of false gods. And she pushed that idolatry and that agenda in the nation of Israel. And she did it through her husband Ahab who allowed her to influence him. And that's what this verse talks about. And so they were the ones in power at this time, and they had led the nation of Israel into a very wicked place where they were saying, hey, we're still following Yahweh. He's the God of the desert and the God of war and the God of power. We're still cool with God, but now we've become enlightened and we're worshiping Baal, who's the God of seasons and the God of rainfall. We're worshiping Asherah, who's the God of fertility and the God that helps us reproduce so that we can fill the land. And so we're worshiping God, but we have all these other loves that we're worshiping as well. 
And Elijah recognizes the spiritual condition of their nation. He understands that they're in a really bad place and that something needs to change. And so in chapter 17 of 1 Kings, he was from Tishbe and Gilead. He told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God whom I worship and serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years unless I give the word. This essentially is a prayer. What he's saying to Ahab is, hey, God is gracious and God is good. But the reality is there is a covenant that he's established with our nation. And we can't continue down the path that we have been on without some type of pain. Because we have removed the hand and the favor of God by worshiping these other idols. And scripture says the condition that we receive based on the decisions that we have made is a drought. God promised in the covenant with Moses and the covenant with Solomon and the covenant with this nation that rain would stop if we ever wandered from him. And I'm just here to remind you of that principle. He's praying a very scriptural and simple prayer. God, honor your word. Now, what's fascinating is up to this time, the nation of Israel has wandered from God, but they have still enjoyed rain. And that doesn't mean that they were following the Lord. And I just want you to file this away in the back of your mind. Never mistake God's patience with God's permission. Too often times people wander from God and they don't immediately experience the consequences of sin and death. And that's because God is so loving and so gracious that he will delay the pain of our choices, hoping that we don't have to experience it, hoping that we'll wake up in time to escape what is coming. Not the wrath of God or the judgment of God because he's mad at us for sinning, but the consequences we deserve for the decisions that we have made. So you need to change your perspective about all this because the world and religion teaches that God is a mad God and a mean God. He's hard to please and he's out to get people who are sinning. No, nothing can be further from the truth. When we pursue our own way, when we worship other gods, when we push God away, he's actually the one who's lovingly delaying the consequences of that sin as long as possible. And yet he loves us enough that there will come a point where he allows us to experience that pain all in hopes that it turns us back to the Father. All because his only goal is a reconciliation of relationship. And Israel has now come to this place. God is saying, look, I've delayed, I've delayed, I've delayed. Now Elijah stands up and says, hey, the word of the Lord is that pain has to come, that something has to change, that drought will happen because we have wandered from God. Well, this dangerous prayer made him public enemy number one. The king hated him. Why? Because when the rain stops, the economy dries up. The country falls apart. There's no grass for the cattle to eat. There's no crops to sell. There's no food. And so now the entire country scre screeches to a halt economically because they enter into three years of drought. Now, we don't have time to go into the story, but in chapter 17, God continues to provide for Elijah supernaturally. It's a couple of really cool stories. If you have the time this week to read it, I would encourage you to do it. Because it's really neat to watch how God always provides for his people, even in the midst of chaos. And I just want you to have that peace in your heart. No matter what happens around you, no matter what happens to our economy, God's people are always protected because our lives are not based on the stock market. We're not provided for by the government or by your job. God says, I will provide all your needs by his riches and glory. And so you're going to be fine no matter what happens. So they go into this three years where Elijah's literally public enemy number one. In fact, Ahab is searching country after country looking for him only to kill him. 
Because he's mad at him for the drought that they're in. Isn't that just like the devil? Because check it out, in verse 17, Ahab now comes to present himself because God says, now's the time to bring this thing to a head. And Ahab sees him and says, it's you, you troublemaker of Israel. Just keep in mind, and maybe this will help you in the days and weeks to come, that the devil always accuses you of what he's guilty for. So when the world rises up and says the church is full of hate, the church is full of bigotry, the church is full of racism, just remember that that's what they're guilty of. And so they get really mad and really hateful towards everyone else, and they start pointing the finger at people who are actually standing for what is actually love, what is actually righteousness, what is actually true. The devil hates the actual truth. So just be prepared that when you speak the actual truth, the world is going to lose its mind. And they're going to call you everything they could possibly call you. And it's time to grow a backbone, everybody. Jesus said, don't let it sway you when the world hates you because of me. Don't be shocked by all this. This is how it's supposed to go. But the truth is, we have to stand up like Elijah and be strong and actually speak the truth to people around us. And then when the world accuses us of things that we know we're not guilty of, you have to just let it roll off your back like Elijah. He said, bro... I've made no trouble for Israel. What are you, crazy? He said, it's you and your family. You have made your decisions, and your decisions have made you. All I did was declare God's word. You're the one that led the nation into all of this idolatry and worshiping the, the, worshiping the idols of Baal instead of worshiping God. That's what removed the hand of favor from, God, from our country. And so here's what we're going to do. I want you to summon all of Israel to join me at Mount Carmel. Get the 450 prophets of Baal, the 400 prophets of Asherah who are supported by Jezebel, verse 20. Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and brought them to Mount Carmel. And Elijah stood in front of them and he said, how much longer will we waver between two opinions? If the Lord is God, it's time to follow him. But if Baal is God, it's time to follow him. And the people were silent. The people didn't have an answer. This is the bold position that I believe believers have to take. It's time for somebody to stand up and say, hey, America, we can't serve all these different gods. And the reality is what you're serving can never save you. It's time to make a choice because you can't have one foot in the church and one foot in the world. You can't serve God and be a drunk. You can't serve God and let money control your life. You can't serve God and let youth sports be a God to you. It's time for you to choose. It's time for you to have one God to serve because God doesn't entertain rivals. And Elijah stood up in front of his nation, keep in mind, that had an entire army and 850 prophets that opposed him. And he was all by himself. And he said, I don't care what you think of me and I don't care what you want to do to me. I'm just telling you what we are doing isn't working And if we continue down this path, it will lead to the total destruction of our nation. It's time for us to get on our face and repent and realize that God is the one true God. This is a bold moment in the nation of Israel. So here's what he says. This is my favorite story in the Bible. He says, here's what we're going to do. Because remember, he's got to lead them down this path. They've got to get to a place of humility, recognizing what they're serving can't save them and it's not working. They've got to get to the place of repentance to come back to God and cry out to God in prayer so that God will hear that prayer, forgive their sin, and heal their land. He's got to take them on this journey because Elijah knows his Bible. Elijah is standing on the promise that was given to Solomon that no rain would come because they've wandered from God. So Elijah's got to take them down this path. He's running Solomon's play. So he says, we're going to set up two altars. 
And you're going to build your altar and put a bull on top. And I'm going to build an altar and put a bull on top. And whoever calls fire down from heaven to consume the sacrifice is the one true God. Now, it's easy to study a Bible story and to be like, wow, that's cool. But y'all know this is crazy. Can you imagine getting in a spiritual argument with somebody at work and being like, fine, let's go to the parking lot. You stand next to your car, I'll stand next to mine, and whoever gets their car to blow up, that's the one true God. This is insane. Outside of the fact that Elijah knows his history. And when Solomon dedicated the temple and the glory of the Lord filled the temple, just before that, fire came from heaven with God's approval and consumed the sacrifice. Because Elijah knows where he's been. That's why the devil loves to distort and pervert your past. Because if he can get you to forget where you've been, you don't know where you're going. But if you know what God has done, you'll have faith for what God can do. And we have to remember where we have been so we know where God is taking us. It's time for us to get back to church history and study the miracles of the past. To study what God did in scripture so we have faith for what God will do. And actually believe the supernatural. America is the most cynical nation on the planet towards the miraculous. That's why you see signs and wonders in places like Asia and Africa, because they don't have the same cynicism that Americans do. But I'm telling you, we're going to need a mighty and powerful move of God in this nation. And it's time for us to truly believe that it's possible. So Elijah says, y'all go first. And so they built their altar, they put the bull up there, and they start dancing around 850. They're, they're doing their thing, and they're crying out to their gods of Baal and share. And of course, nothing happens. There's no response. Nothing. So it gets to be noontime, and Elijah starts to get bored, and the Bible says he starts mocking them, which literally means talking trash. (laughs) So I just want to say publicly that it is biblical for pastors to talk trash. (laughs) And I would encourage you in your own life, start talking a little bit more trash. I think it's fun to talk. I like to talk trash at the office. I like to talk trash at the gym. I like to talk trash on the basketball court. I like to talk trash when I play golf. I think it's just important to talk trash to lost people. Call them up after they've been drinking all night and be like, how you feel this morning? How's that working out for you? <laughs> pretty bad, huh? Yeah. Feeling pretty lonely and stupid about right now, aren't you? And he says, y'all are going to have to talk a little bit louder. You got to catch the attention of your God. Ain't nothing happening. What your servant's not working. And then he said, perhaps he's having a conversation. Or maybe he's sitting on the toilet. How much you love the Bible? Dude, he's filing paperwork. Maybe he's got the door shut. Maybe he's constipated. Who knows? Like he is just talking trash. Maybe he's away on a trip or he's asleep and needs to be awakened. What he's trying to say is, hey, guys, what you're doing is not working. The God you're serving has no power. They don't even exist. This is insane. This is nonsense. And, of course, they became enraged. The Bible says they started to cut themselves and bleed as they cried out to their gods. Because that's what the devil loves to do to people. Disfigure, dismember, bring pain, brokenness, confusion, chaos. Of course, nothing happens. And now Elijah has essentially accomplished his first goal. It's time to humble the nation. Now they're realizing, man, these guys look like fools. They've been out here for almost eight hours now dancing around and cutting themselves. And there's nothing happening. Maybe what we've been serving can't actually save us. And so Elijah calls the people over. He says, why don't you come over here? And they crowded around him. 
And he lives out, he acts out the act of repentance. He begins to repair the altar of the Lord that had been torn down. They had forsaken the foundation of their nation, the principles of God's word, the foundation that he had given them of relationship and community. And Elijah says, it's time to come back to understand how we've been founded and the principles that God has given us. And he took 12 stones, one that represent each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And this is significant because by this time, families had been fractured and the nation had been fractured. There was 10 tribes to the north and two tribes to the south and the nation's no longer together in unity. And he's representing families and lives and marriages and and races. Let's bring all of them together because God intended for us to live together in spiritual community. You're not just a specific race or a skin color and you're not a political position and you're not an income level. You're not just that type of believer or that type of sin. Hey, we're all God's children. Let's bring these stones back together under the banner of Jesus and remember the principles that founded this nation. Repentance. And then he digs a trench, which makes no sense. In the middle of a drought on top of a hill, he digs a hole, which is about the only thing you could do to completely lose your salvation in the middle of this moment. Have you ever tried to dig a hole? Especially in Indiana, it is awful. It's like the worst thing you could possibly do. If you missed our go team party, Nate Bargazzi had some pretty funny stuff to talk about. That's why people bury people. They're guilty of murder. They bury them in a shadow grave because they're just like, it's too hard. I don't care, I'll go to jail for the rest of my life. Just throw some leaves on top of it. You know, it's hard digging a hole. So this guy digs this hole that's big enough to hold three gallons all the way around. He piles wood on the altar, and then he gets all of the bull prepared. And then he says, I want you to go get four large jars of water. Keep in mind, three three years of drought. The most precious commodity we have in this nation. The most precious resource. People are dying. Cattle are dying. I want you to get the water. Who knows how far they had to go or where they had to go. And I want you to bring it here and dump it over the offering and the wood. Now this displays his level of faith. His level of boldness. How many of us, if we were trying to call fire down from heaven, would be like, I brought a lighter and I'm going to throw it in, hoping it looks like it came from heaven. I'm going to put some lighter fluid on this bad boy. I'm going to pick the driest sticks because I feel like I have to assist God in this miracle. I believe God can do it, but I think, it's, I think it requires a lot of effort on my part. No, Elijah wanted them to know God is more powerful than you could possibly imagine. They dumped water on the altar. After they did it, he said, do it again. And after they did it a second time, he said, do it a third time. Twelve buckets of water to the point that the trench is drenched. At the customary time of the evening sacrifice, Elijah walks up to the altar. And he turns this nation back in prayer. This is what he prayed. Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, would you prove today that you are God? Would you prove that I'm your servant and that I've done all of this at your command? Lord, would you answer me simply for the purpose of people knowing that you are God and that you've done all of this just to reconcile them back to you that you've never stopped pursuing them, no matter how far they wander from you, no matter how perverse they are in their worship of other gods, no matter what they have done to defile your nation, God, we thank you that you've never stopped pursuing us and that if we'll just meet the covenant, you promised that you would return to us. And immediately, the fire of the Lord descended 
It burned up the bull. It burned up the wood. It got the stones. It burned up all the dust. It licked up all the water. And at that moment, the nation of Israel saw. Wow. Look at how great God actually is. And they fell on their face and they cried out, the Lord is God. The Lord is God. Listen, I really believe that our nation is at a very similar moment in our history. I believe that we've got a lot of Christians that believe they're serving God, but they're worshiping a lot of things that could never save them. They've got a lot of other things like the Baals and Asherah that they believe. If I, I can just drink a little alcohol and it's not going to mess with me, I can go out and party a little bit and it's, no, nobody needs to know. I can worship my money and keep it all to myself and it will make me significant and safe. We can skip weekends and give our lives to youth sports or to that thing or to this thing, to the lake and to the boat. It's not a big deal. It's not really going to impact us. And I believe our nation needs some people that have a backbone that will stand up and say, now is the time for us to make a decision. If you think that stuff can save you, then serve it. But it's time for the church to declare that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except through Him. If He is God, then serve Him. But He is either Lord of all or He is not Lord at all. He will not entertain rivals. It's time for us to have a revival. It's time for people to stand up. And to say, look, we've got to get to the place that we realize that all this nonsense that we are giving our lives to could never save us. We've got to repent from the wickedness in our nation. And we have got to cry out to God. The good news is that the Lord promised that he would hear that prayer. He would forgive sin and that he would bring healing to our nation. Will you be an Elijah? Will you be willing to be bold enough to stand up and to speak out, even though it may cost you some friends, even though it may cost you your reputation, even though it may cost you your career? Elijah risked it all, including his life. And God used him to save a nation. Yet there are others of you who are here. Maybe you can better identify with the nation of Israel. All along you felt like, man, I'm... I'm worshiping God, I, I'm in church on Sunday, but you've allowed the world to convince you that you can have any moral compass you want. You decide who to love and how to live and what to do with your money because you can be a God to yourself and still include God and it's all fine, it's great. I'm just telling you, it's not great. Chances are you already know that. If you're serving anything but God, it cannot save you. And God does not tolerate rivals. You can't live a life that on the surface says that you're a Christian and yet give your heart to all these other things and expect God's blessing and favor on your life. It just doesn't work that way. And yet God's not mad at you. He's not trying to get even with you. He just wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to experience the full blessings that he came to give you. So with every head bowed and every eye closed, would you take a moment to search your heart today? Maybe that's you. Maybe you say, you know what, Dave, I've become entrenched in the world. I've allowed culture to change my perspective. And today, maybe you're seeing that what you're serving can't save you. Maybe you're ready to make a change, to turn away from all of that nonsense that will never bring you life. And turn to God, who's never stopped searching for you. He loves you more than you could possibly imagine. 
When you surrender to Him, He makes your whole life brand new. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter how long you've been trapped by sin. It doesn't matter the things of your past. It's never too late. God has a great plan for your life. With no one moving around, nobody looking around at all of our campuses, if that's you, I want to pray with you before we go, but I'm not going to make you stand or come to the front. I just want you to take one bold step to let me know you want to be counted in on this prayer just by lifting your hand up high right where you're at right now and say, Dave, count me in. I want to surrender to Jesus today. Yeah, yeah. Great job. Yeah. That's awesome. So proud of you all across the room. You can put your hands down at Bluffton. You can put your hands down. Proud of you today. I'm going to lead you in a simple prayer. You can pray it quietly in your heart. You just need to mean it. Just say, Lord Jesus. Forgive me. I repent of all my mistakes. And I ask you to make me brand new. Come and fill my life. Give me your Holy Spirit to help me live for you. In Jesus' name I pray. Father, I thank you for allowing us to live at such a crucial time in our history. I pray that you would help us to be a light to the world around us, to speak clarity and hope and truth, to share the good news of the gospel. Lord, for those that are confused and blinded by the devil, I pray that you would help us to be a light. God, that people would see what they're serving can't save them, that they would take the journey of repentance. And God, that we would cry out to heaven as a nation, coming back to the foundations of this great nation. Father, we thank you for revival that will come. I pray that you would strengthen and embolden your people to be who you've called us to be as we pray dangerous prayers. We love you today. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said amen. Amen. Come on, church, would you celebrate with those who prayed that prayer today? Yeah. Thank you so much for joining iTown Church online today. We would love to have the chance to meet you and your family in person at one of our campuses. Or, of course, you can join us streaming live online this weekend. Now, for more details about times and locations and even some of our streaming options, go to itownchurch.com. I sure hope to see you soon. God bless.